Last week, we spoke about the transfiguration of Jesus. James, Peter, John, they go with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration, where they were very blessed to see the Lord in His glorified state. The Father, once again, demonstrated His approval of the Son there by letting His glory shine forth for a moment. His glory pierced through His flesh, and they could actually see it. And of course, the Father's voice was heard. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father confirmed His pleasure in Christ, in the Anointed One. Coming down from the mountain, Jesus spoke very clearly to them what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And yet it seems the disciples didn't quite catch they didn't quite understand what was going on. As Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, he enters an intense time of, te of teaching. Jesus was about to leave his disciples. And there was so much that he had to tell them and prepare them. After that experience of the transfiguration, we are told that uh, they passed through a, a Samaritan village. Jesus sent some of them ahead to prepare for his arrival. At, at this point, Jesus had quite a large gathering, and he didn't want to arrive at the village suddenly with a whole bunch of visitors. And so they sent people ahead to warn the village, a whole bunch of visitors coming along with Jesus. But the village, the, guy, the leaders, they rejected Jesus. And so James and John, like good, loving followers of Jesus, said to the Lord, Let us call down fire from heaven and burn the whole village. Come on. What have these guys been listening to? What have they been learning? <laughs> now, don't judge them. Because sometimes when you're in traffic, you feel like calling down fire from heaven, don't you? <laughs> or other instances in your life. Don't be too harsh on them. But it, but it just shows you the contrast between God's love and our measly love. Remember when, when God told Abram he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin? What did he agree with? with uh, Abraham. He said, listen, if there are 10 faithful people in that city, I will not destroy that city. But these disciples, they wanted to destroy the city because a couple of leaders didn't want to accept Jesus. And they want to wipe the whole city out. Come on. We need to learn and apply what Jesus has taught us. Well, Jesus rebuked him. He says, listen, uh, uh, you do not know what kind of spirit you've got. The Son of Man, me, I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so they just went to another village. This one doesn't want us, we go to another one. <laughs> and they just moved on. We also see the account of Jesus sending 70 of his followers in pairs, two by two, to minister. He gives them power to heal the sick, but sends them with warnings to be wise in their dealings, bringing peace to homes where peace is offered, but not wasting time on those who reject him. Time was short. 
Jesus had much to do. He could not waste time. Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. And so we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was determined. This phrase, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is actually the fulfillment of a prophecy found in the book of Isaiah. Keeping in mind, listen, we are approaching Easter, right? Passover, Easter. Keeping this in mind, I want you to hear that prophecy of Isaiah. You find it in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 to 7. It says like this, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Now, this is not the prophet Isaiah speaking. He is putting himself in the place of Messiah. And these are the words of Messiah that Isaiah wrote down. And so this is Messiah speaking. The Lord has opened my ear. The Lord has spoken to me. And I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus... And we're talking about follow today. If you're close as followers of Jesus, we follow him. We do what he did. We follow his example. And he says, I did not turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Guys, how, how, how accurate is this? Hundreds of years before it happened. And here's a description of what would happen to Jesus in Jerusalem. But then he says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. In spite of all the stuff that's going to happen to me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And that's what it says there in, in Luke. Jesus set his face steadfastly, to go to Jerusalem. I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. That meant Jesus would go through moments of shame. But he would not be ashamed ultimately. Because he knew there was glory coming up. And child of God, we who follow Jesus... We may go through moments of shame because of our faith. We may be ridiculed, rejected, and set aside sometimes because of our faith. But we shall not be ashamed because ultimately we will share in the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So Jesus was fully committed to his mission. Now, it was time to go to Jerusalem. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, he spent much time in Galilee, and he kind of kept a low profile. Often he would heal somebody and say, don't tell anybody who did this. <laughs> okay? He kept a low profile. He wanted time to get his message out. He didn't want to get the guys in Jerusalem too worked up, you know, and, and come and cut his time short here. And so he kept a low profile. But now, now the time had come for him to reveal himself. And so he goes from village to village and, he's, uh, uh, village and he's openly declaring who he is and what his message is. Jesus keeps telling people to follow him. 
And in today's text, Jesus encounters some potential followers, but he makes some radical statements. We heard this morning something about what? Gut faith. And if you're going to follow Jesus, that's a kind of faith. That's a kind of commitment we are going to need, folks. Listen carefully to this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. In our studies before the cross. Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever I go. Ever had those moments? Having a worship service like this morning, the Holy Spirit is moving. You feel so good, and you feel the prayers of the Lord. says, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I love you, Jesus. You must be careful what you say. Because the Lord is listening. <laughs> and you'll write that down, you know. And then one day he'll call you, hey, come here. Remember, you, you, you said this and this and that. Now, yes, I want you to do. And you go, what? <laughs> Listen. So this man comes. He says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, says to him, wonderful. I'm so glad we need men like you. Join the gang. Is that what it says? No. Jesus says, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, me, this guy you want to follow and go wherever I go, has nowhere to lay his head. It's like saying, are you ready to follow a homeless man? And then he said to another, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. <laughs> wow. But you go and you preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But, but first, let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. These guys are volunteering to follow Jesus. They're coming forward. They're responding to his call of, follow me. And this is how he treats them. Jesus did not have the best public relations strategy, right? Jesus obviously had not read how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> huh? uh, there is no indication in the Bible that any of these three guys follow Jesus. We don't know. And then, of course, a few verses later, if you read, uh, Jesus laments that the laborers are few. We don't have enough followers to go and take the gospel out there. <laughs> a, a marketing consultant might recommend that Jesus goes a bit easier on his potential followers. You know, or Jesus, they're coming, but you're chasing them away. Go lighter. 
Come on, bring your standards down a little bit. Make things easier for them. And church, unfortunately, that is what's happening today with many churches, church leaders, and Christians. They are looking for church light. Little commitment, little sacrifice, little obedience, more convenience. A friend of mine was a missionary, he was, he was traveling in Brazil, and he came across a church. And after the churches in Brazil, they are right on the pavement. You know, the door is right on the pavement. You walk from the pavement into the church, you know, and, and it had this banner in front of the church. Here, tithing, only 8%. Let's lower the standards a little bit. Make it easier for people to come to this church. There was a, a cartoon once. It showed a, a church building with a large billboard in front that proclaimed the light church. 24% fewer commitments. Home of the 7.5 tithes. They're competing with the guys in Brasilia, you know. <laughs> 15-minute sermons and 45 worship service. The whole service over in 45 minutes. We only have eight commandments. Your choice. You choose which eight you want to follow. We use just three spiritual laws instead of four. And we have an 800-year millennium. Everything you wanted in a church and less. Ay, 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 ay. Here's the deal there. Jesus does not lower his standards. Mm -mm. He doesn't lower his standards to gain more followers. Quite the contrary. Let us look at these three encounters here, one by one. The first man, verses 57 and 58. The man says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no way to lay his head. Listen, there is an indication here that the man was personally invited. He seems just to be responding to the general invitation that Jesus makes the people, follow me. And so he comes up and says, I will follow you, Lord Jesus. But his reaction was impulsive and idealistic. He perhaps watched Jesus. He watched some miracles. Maybe the multiplication of the bread. You know, and, and he saw the healings. And he got excited. This is great. This is a great man to be around. This is a great group to be in. This is a great church to be in. I'm going to follow this crowd. It's so exciting. He was motivated by impulse, by emotions. He wanted to be part of this in crowd because suddenly Jesus had become very popular and multitudes are following him. And there are some people, they're always going to be part of the in crowd. If it's happening, I want to be with it. And so he wants to be with the in crowd, with the Jesus crowd. Hallelujah. But he had not thought it through. Following, following Jesus would require giving up many personal comforts. It still does. Jesus had already declared in verse 23 that following him meant a life of self-denial, not self-indulgence. 
But this guy, he wants to follow Jesus, but he still wants to keep his options open. And Jesus ripped away the romanticism of what it meant to be with him. He didn't just welcome the guy and say, oh, how wonderful to have you with us. No. He was trying to help this potential follower understand that although it is a nice, it is nice to be together with Jesus. It is wonderful to share God's love. It's wonderful to see his power. There are rough parts to carrying out Father's will. Having faith in Jesus is not comfortable. You need guts to follow Jesus. Because it's, it isn't always easy. Here, Jesus is challenging the comfortable disciple in church. There are too many of us disciples getting comfortable. We're using all sorts of excuses. But Jesus says, hey, you want to follow me? It's not comfortable. We all want our comfort. And listen, there is nothing wrong in obtaining a, a home and the comforts of a home. Nothing wrong with that. But don't let that come in the way of living your life for Him. How many families and individuals have we seen in our years of ministry who come to church and they need it, they broke and they, they, their lives are falling apart. They come to Jesus, they start putting their faith in Christ, they start trusting the Lord. And slowly but surely, they make their way up in life. They've got a job, and then they've got positions, and then they've got a comfortable house, and then they've got a nice car, and then they've got a nice everything. And next thing you don't see them in church anymore. Because they've got this thing now, and they've got this social event now, and they've got that thing now. and Comfort. They want to follow Jesus, but they want to have their comfort as well. Mm -mm. Don't let that come in the way of you living your life for him. Second man, verses 59 and 60. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and you preach the kingdom of God. Jesus invites this man directly, personally. Says, you, yeah, 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 you, you, come, you come follow me. Now, the man thinks that following Jesus is important. He doesn't say, no, I'm not gonna follow you. He agrees to follow Jesus. So, agrees, he agrees it's important to follow Jesus, but not as important as his family obligations. Now, bearing his father seems like a reasonable excuse. But you must understand with you, you must understand the culture of the time, okay? If the man's father had died recently, he wouldn't be there in the crowd. He wouldn't be hanging around and just following Jesus. He would be back home with his family, burying his father. You see, this phrase, let me bury my father first, okay, is a phrase that was often used at that time to mean after my father dies, I will follow you. That's what it meant. Lord Jesus, yes, I will follow you. But listen, my dad's still alive. And, and, and when he dies, then I will follow you. Why wait until his father died? Because when the father dies, he gets inheritance. 
So he said, you see, Lord, right now I can't follow you. But when my father dies, I get my inheritance, then I'll have the means. I'll have the finances, I'll have the positions, I'll have the means to be able to come and follow you. So Lord Jesus, just, just hang in there. As soon as he dies, I'll, I'll follow you. That's what he's saying. He, he, this man, this man he is, is putting his trust in his earthly father to supply to him the means to follow Jesus Christ, who is the owner of everything. Instead of trusting his heavenly father <laughs> and the father's son to supply his needs, he's waiting for his father to die whenever that happens. So he's got some positions and some means to come and follow Jesus. And so oh, that's so stupid. It's not stupid. I've seen it happen in my generation. I've seen people saying, Pastor, listen, I know I'm not coming to church and I'm busy, but listen, I'm just, I just, I'm just getting my business up and running. Once my business up and running, Pastor, I'll be there. Pastor, as soon as, I, you know, I, want, I want to give a great donation to the church. I want to give so many hundreds of thousands to the church. As soon as I get it, Pastor, I will give it. I'm still waiting. It's never going to happen. Caring for family is important. But if it is greater than our commitment to Christ, something is wrong. And we live in days where people talk a lot about family, and let's get and spend time with family and family. But if you're not serving the Lord because it interferes with your family time, something is wrong. Oh, I can't come to church on Sunday morning because it's my family time. Hey. Why not have your family time right here in church? Do the service and then go and enjoy yourself. Go for a picnic or something. Why must you exclude serving God because of family? It should be everything together, amen? Come on. Or not committing yourself as a believer because you're afraid of what the family is going to say. Afraid of family, especially if you don't come from a Christian background. Oh, if I commit to God, if I start going to church, if I start reading the Bible, or oh, my family is going to reject me. We have to make a decision. And when family interferes with my commitment to God, God must, must come first. God teaches us to care for our families. And you care for your family better when you are connected with God. So be careful of this lie of the devil. Oh, you could look after your family, therefore you can't serve God. They are not mutually exclusive. There is kingdom work to be done, and it requires commitment. From Jesus' quick, quick response, which says, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim, we need to acknowledge that the man's answer was not pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because the Jesus wanted the man to follow him. And he said, follow me. He meant, follow me now. Remember when Jesus called the other disciples? They were busy there with their nets. Jesus says, follow me. They just dropped everything and followed Jesus. Matthew was there being uh, counting the money there with the changes and everything else. He says, Follow me. He dropped everything and he followed Jesus. And he expects this guy to do the same thing. He expects you and I when he says, follow me. 
You expect us to say, yes, sir, we'll follow you. Now. Not tomorrow. Not when I'm older. Not when I'm on pension. Not when I've got enough time. Not when it's convenient for me. Now. And you see, when the Lord calls you to follow him, he will help you with the means and everything you need to follow him. It sounds confusing. You might say, how on earth am I going to do this? Just do it. Start following him because you're not going to see the miracle before you start following him. Hmm. This man wanted to be a convenient follower. And here, Jesus is challenging the convenient disciple. First the comfortable, now the convenient. Convenient followers are not followers at all. Because they will only accompany Jesus when it is convenient for their schedules. Jesus challenged him to put his priorities in place. The Lord wanted him to say, yes, now. And that's what he wants to hear from us. And then, when we face issues in life, when there are family problems or financial problems or anything else, we then, as Christ's disciples, we ask him what we should do. And he will give us specific directions and help us in every issue in our lives. Amen? Let's go to the third man, verses 61 and 62. And the other also said, Lord, I will follow you, but <laughs> let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one. Having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This man also volunteers. He responds to Jesus' general call to follow him. <clears throat> but with a condition. Uh, if, he, if he's so excited about following Jesus with a crowd, why doesn't he quickly run home and, and say bye-bye to everybody and then come and say, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. Let's go. Oh, why does he go to Jesus? Uh, uh, Lord, listen, I'm coming to follow you, but I'm just quickly going, going you know, he trying to impress Jesus. What is he trying to do? You see, to him, following Jesus is important, but not as important as old relationships and old ways. His heart was divided. Like Lot's wife, he couldn't cut ties with the old life completely. He wants to go with the Lord, but he's looking back all the time. And Jesus is saying his followers must be totally focused on his purpose. Not one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Often people who are moved emotionally will say that they will follow Christ. They will do this. They will do that. They will come to church. But you never see them. They struggle to give up things of the world. Listen, following Jesus is not something that you add to everything you already have. Following Jesus is not like, you know, taking up a second job. You do this and then you do that as well. No. Following Jesus is everything. It is a commitment that forces the disciple to reorder, reorganize his life. Reorganize his other duties according to the priorities of the kingdom. Jesus first. Amen? It is a commitment. Total commitment. Jesus used a, a common occupation at that time 
to illustrate the nature of a disciple's commitment. Everyone that was listening to Jesus on that day would have immediately understood the point of the illustration. That if a plowman looked back, it would affect his ability to plow properly. In fact, looking back from the plow would invariably cause him to plow a crooked row and possibly damage the crops he had already planted. It is a fitting illustration of what happens when we focus on anything other than our Savior. We invariably plow a crooked row and we damage the crop. In the case of a disciple of Christ, the crop is the souls of men and women. And the damage may carry eternal consequences. If you don't believe me, just look at recent events in the church. Where church leaders have become distracted. They lost sight of where they were going. They looked around. They looked back. And they did things which brought shame to the gospel. Brought shame to them, to their ministry, to their churches, and ultimately to the gospel. And mature Christians will understand and move on. But immature Christians and unbelievers will see that and say, Ha ha, I knew this guy was a fake. I knew Christianity is just another fad. And so when we look back and we make these crooked rows, crooked ways of life, we could, in fact, damage other people, damage their face, hinder people from coming close to Jesus. Guys, that's heavy stuff. And you need total commitment to follow Christ. He emphasizes also the consequences of disobedience when he states that the person who looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. The original word for fit, yusia, means fit, useful, or suitable. So he's saying, if you look back, you're not fit, you're not useful, you're not suitable to the kingdom of God. Wow. It's the same word he uses in Luke 14.35 to describe salt that is worthless, unfit, not fit. Okay? Salt that is worthless. You can't use it for the soil, nor for the manure pile, and it must just be thrown out. Wow. And so the idea here is that a person who looks back, who focuses on anything or anyone other than Jesus, renders himself useless to the kingdom. And this is the danger of not counting the cost of commitment. Here, Jesus is challenging the distracted disciple. And you're living in days of a lot of distraction. Through news, through social media, through trends, through worldviews, that Christians are constantly being pulled away and being distracted from their faith. Happens at your work, at your school, uh, in your environment. It happens every day all around. And we have to be alert, folks. Because to follow Jesus, you cannot get distracted. It appears from Jesus' response to him that this disciple would allow little things to distract him. 
Again, he had the problem of the convenient disciple. Notice also, he said, permit me, allow me. He was making bargains with the master. Listen, we are only to do what Jesus says and not tell him what we are to do. The problem is that this, this man, he was really looking for an excuse not to follow Jesus. He wanted to keep his options open. He undoubtedly liked Jesus. Jesus would be a good master. But he liked his family too and his friends and everything else. And he's distracted, the distracted disciple who gets real excited and devoted for a while and then you do not see him for a whole while. He's often involved in some other matter. <laughs> Three men. Three men. Reading this passage and what Jesus said to these men may sound harsh. How can this be so harsh? But remember that Jesus knew their hearts. Okay? You read it, and you may judge the situation, say, Jesus being so harsh, how dare he? So disrespectful. Huh? So intolerant. Huh? That's a good word these days, like, intolerant. But you see, you and I, we look at the surface. Jesus knew their hearts. And guess what? When we bring out excuses to Jesus... <laughs> he doesn't just listen to our words. He sees our hearts too. He knows our deepest thoughts. He was not just responding to their words, but to their hearts, to their inner motives. We, we sang this morning, folks. You search much, much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. He knows our hearts, and he knew the hearts of those men. He told them not what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. We do not gather as a church on Sundays to hear what we want to hear, but to hear what we need to hear. And we need to hear the words of Jesus, the comforting ones, the encouraging ones, and the challenging ones, like we read here this morning. Following Jesus is all about Him. Again, we sang this morning, it's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's nice to sing. We get the nice feeling. Oh, it's emotional. I love singing those songs. But we have to follow up our singing with action. It's not just a song we sing in church. It's a wonderful song, and we must sing it. But we are not just singing a song, guys. We are declaring our lifestyle. We sing the song in church, and then we leave those doors, we go out into the world, and we live it out. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. Our lives are ordained, shaped, and informed by Him, by His will, by His word, by the Bible. His love is relentless. His love is relentless. But life has its challenges. And sometimes the, the oceans rise and there are waves in our lives. But we must keep our eyes above the waves. Focused on Jesus. To follow Jesus is to do life His way. And therein lies our rest. It is there that we can boldly say, I am yours and you are mine. It's like we heard this morning. It takes gut faith. 
Some of you here, some of you watching, you're going through some rough times. There's some wild waves in your lives. Can be in finances, in relationships, maybe questions of faith. I don't know, disease, illness. You know, and God knows. But now is not the time to look for convenience, for comfort, or for distractions. Now is the time to have that faith that says, I will follow you, Lord Jesus. My eyes are on you. I'm prepared to pay the price of faith. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. He's going to face Golgotha, suffering, but he's going to face glory. And in our journey with him, sometimes we face our Golgotha, our Calvary, our suffering. But ultimately, we will not be ashamed. Hallelujah. From these three encounters, we conclude the following very quickly. You cannot follow based on an emotional, idealistic decision. The first, first man was caught in the euphoria of the moment. Many people follow the faith and attend a particular church because it is popular, it is trending, and they want to be part of the in crowd. But there is no real commitment there. At the first sign of trouble or tribulation, they are out. Professing, declaring, speaking is easy, but practice over the long haul is the test. Following Jesus and living for self are mutually exclusive. Following Jesus means you put yourself aside and you give your life to follow him. You cannot follow Christ casually when you feel like it. Even a noble act like bearing his father, Jesus would not allow him to postpone his commitment until convenient. The message is urgent. We cannot be casual about it. Another lesson. Following Jesus is not just a phasing life. Leaving your options open so that you can go back to your old life if things don't work out as a Christian is the same as rejecting Jesus. Later, Jesus mentions Lot's wife as an example of those who would follow him and says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Hmm. Listen, another listener, Jesus was totally committed to his mission. He knew the road to glory would be painful. He had no idealistic and emotional illusions. Jesus was totally immersed in his mission. It was not something he did casually or when he had time. It was his life. His mission was his life. Jesus was totally surrendered to his mission. As prophesied in Isaiah, he was not rebellious, nor did he turn away from his mission. He knew that in the end, he would not be ashamed. Hallelujah. As followers of Christ, if we follow his example, listen to him, and what he taught us about following him, we too will not be ashamed. We are with him on the road to Jerusalem, to Calvary, and to glory. And when you follow someone, <laughs> you go where he goes. Are you prepared to follow Jesus without comforts, without conveniences, without distractions? Just follow him. Let's stand up and let us pray.
Let's close our eyes for a moment. <clears throat> Just stop a moment. Are you following Jesus. Don't answer me. Don't speak out loud. I'm asking you just to think through this. As you've heard this message this morning, think through this. We're talking about things that, Je- that happened to Jesus before the cross. Things he said before the cross. It, we look at his final words, important words of teaching which he had to bring to his followers, making it clear what it means to follow him. In which areas of your walk with the Lord are you allowing comfort, convenience, and distractions to come in the way? Just take a moment to think about it. Pray about it. And if this morning the Holy Spirit has touched something in your life which you need to confess to the Lord, do it now quietly, privately between you and the Lord. If you find that you are failing, that you are being distracted, that you are giving too much premium to comfort or to convenience, that these things are getting the way, tell the Lord about it. Ask Him to help you to align your life with His will. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and for everything you did for us on that cross. And we do want to follow you, Lord. But we confess to you our weaknesses sometimes. We confess to you, Lord God, the temptation of comfort, the temptation of convenience, and the temptation of distractions, Lord. But we come to you this morning and say, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we will resist these temptations, Lord God. And we will follow you the way you want us to follow you. Through our lives, through our choices, through the way we do our work, through the way we live as families, as individuals, as husbands, wives, children, whatever we are in this world, Father God, we will honor you by living our lives in a way that is in line with your will, in a way that pleases you, Lord. Help us to be disciples who honor you, who please you. In Jesus' name, Lord. And brothers and sisters, I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you throughout this week as you do life, as you go to school, as you go to work, your moments of leisure. In whatever you do, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to convict you of areas in your life, of practices, of choices in your life which interfere with you following Him. Listen to Him. Have an open heart, an open mind to the Holy Spirit. Let us remove all hindrances and truly, truly follow Him. Amen. Amen. So may the love of God the Father the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of you, with each one of us, as we follow Him. In Jesus' name.
Amen. And amen. The Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day. A great week of following him. And we'll see you next Sunday. Palm Sunday. Amen. Parents, remember, kids, come along. And uh, we'll see you then. God bless you. Amen.